Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From Spoke Media, this episode is sponsored by the new podcast, Hot and Bothered. In one of her darkest moments, host Vanessa Volton turned to romance novels for comfort and joy, and the process of writing her own romance novel changed her life. Now she's encouraging, with maybe a little bit of insisting, that her friends write their own romance novels. On the Hot and Bothered podcast, they treat romance novels as feminist texts, primarily written by women, for women, and about female pleasure. And they treat writing romance novels as sacred practice. Writing a happy ending is staring at a blank page and creating something hopeful and beautiful. Throughout this series, Vanessa guides her friends through the work of writing their own romance novels. Join Vanessa's friends as they create the gay fairy tale they never had, fall back in love with writing, long for old flames despite their happy marriages, wonder how their first pregnancy will affect their sense of self, and reimagine the love they deserve in the world. You can follow along and write your own romance novel with regular assignments from novelist Julia Quinn. And regardless, join the writers of Hot and Bothered in this feminist undertaking and do the radical work of pursuing your desires, reclaiming your stories, and reimagining what you deserve. From Spoke Media and the creators of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, listen and subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, your favorite place to talk about romance novels, things happening in Romance Landia, and all the things. Uh, I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And I mean, we have good news, Jess. Our podcast is 40 episodes old. Our podcast is 40 episodes old. We are recording on August 9th. 9th? Yes. I think it's August 8th. It's August but 8th. But I'm actually not it. I'm not entirely sure what time zone I'm in, so <laughs> I could be wrong about the date. I actually wrote down August 8th and then uh, like felt like I was wrong. So, <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it is the 8th. Okay. I I don't ask me what time. I think it's it's in the evening sometime. <laughs> I know what time it is Pacific time cuz that's what we schedule in terms of recording. Yes. But I was driving 9 hours today and I'm in South Dakota, but I don't think I've crossed the time change line. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, huh. I, you should know, though, I'm in this hotel in South Dakota, and I just put this on my Instagram feed. There's this enormous mirror that, like, I'm looking at as I'm recording from this hotel desk, and <laughs> it's a little distracting. So, <laughs> heads up. If you see motion, it's you. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank God. <Yeah. laughs> Hopefully, it's not a haunted hotel room. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but we were going to check in a little bit, we'll, and we wanted to make sure that we mentioned before we got really rolling, um, there's a Ripped Bodice giveaway on the site. There is. You can you can enter to win a $100 gift card um, for the Ripped Bodice, and you don't have to live in LA to be able to shop at the Ripped Bodice. You can order them online, have a nice pink package delivered to your door, um, or you can go to LA and visit the Ripped Bodice. I I mean, listen, (laughs) either way, I mean, 
live your best life live your best best reading romance life absolutely we also wanted to take a quick moment to uh acknowledge i think all but hope if at the very least hopefully some of the email that we have gotten over the course of the last uh couple of weeks um i will use first names only uh we heard from tara who had is she's with you jess in that she loves the fake relationship story um so you know she had um some Thoughts about those. She was a big recommender of All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. She also loved The On Honeymooners by Christina Lauren, which I have watched the first and read the second and enjoyed both very much. (laughs) And then we heard from Summer, who had, I will say, we had some some feelings about uh, the friend zone, which we talked about a little bit on the last podcast. And you know, we in in that context of talking about HEAs and and grief and tragedy, and we talked about a handful of books. But I think one of the points that uh, Summer made that I thought was really interesting was that in uh, their perspective, if you are only together, and this is a direct quote, if you're only together because of this manufactured trauma, that's not HEA, that's HFN until you make it through the grief process, which I think is is definitely an interesting insight. I think I probably agree with it, although I'd have to think a little bit more. But regardless, um, it's always so interesting for us to get to hear uh, what folks are thinking and talking about and what we are talking about that resonates um, with all of you. So thank you to everybody who has written in about the show. Please don't hesitate to continue to do it. It's really fun for us to get to read those. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. Also, for those of you who are going to be participating with us in the um, Great Big Romance Read, if you are trying to acquire that book in print, maybe from your local indie, um, there is a backlog, but I recall seeing um, Olivia Waite tweeting that she had a chat with Avon and they're running another print soon. So hopefully everyone will be able to talk about it, whether you want to read it in print or on um, your Kindle or other e-reader of choice. Yeah, my understanding is that it's also not available on audio, which is a little bit of a bummer. Hopefully they will um, address that as well. Uh, and I know some folks were a little frustrated about that on Twitter. I will say in some ways, it, it absolutely is frustrating in a lot of ways. But also, that's pretty rad, right? Like there's so many people want to read this book. Yeah. That they're, they've run out of copies. That's pretty awesome. You know, and even more rad that they're going to run a, another printing. So that is very exciting. I will, um, look for that, uh, link from Olivia Waite. And if there's any information about how to order books, I will make sure to add that to the show notes too. Great. Excellent. All right. Before we get rolling into, uh, some of the big news of the week, should we do a, a sponsor? Let's do a sponsor. And it's one that you've heard before if you listened last time, but we are still happy and grateful. Um, thank you to Avon for publishing The Rogue to Ruin by Vivian Lauret. Bestselling author Vivian Lauret returns with A Rogue to Ruin, which is the third book in her Misadventures in Matchmaking series. This one is an enemies to lovers tale about a woman who finds herself engaged to the handsome former boxer who owns the gaming hell across the street from her business. Um, when a vile suitor from her past reappears, she claims an attachment to the first man who comes to mind, who is Reed Sterling, the devilish brute that's been unintentionally sabotaging her matchmaking agency with his unsavory establishment. 
Pretending to be in love requires a convincing charade, but they pull it off. Um, with every scandalous kiss, Ainsley starts to wonder if Reed was ever her enemy at all. And I'll tell you, I started reading this one. Um, I got distracted by shinies because that always happens. But I plan to return to it because right now I can't see any way that these two people get along. I mean, they have some great chemistry and they both are looking out for their business and the people that their businesses support. Also, Reed has a cat who is like all cats, her own master and I recall just getting to a scene where said cat wanders into Ainsley's house um, and they have to go find it because she is hiding. Um, so that's a draw. You should definitely read it just for that scene. It's hilarious. Well, <laughs> I have to tell you, people love dogs in real life and in romance. I get it. They're very lovable. I have to tell you, fictional cats are probably like my favorite fictional animal because there's so much attitude to a cat and it genuinely like adds a whole other layer to the story i think that's kind of rad yeah yeah i'm i agree with you there so if you love cats in fiction you'll love this one um so once again thank you to the rogue to ruin by vivian lore yeah and i have to tell you i think i'm 100 percent with you jess that i i know i don't always think of myself as being a person who loves enemies to lovers but it takes such strong writing and such great storytelling to bring people back around once you've kind of established that these people don't like each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's something really fun about seeing the clever ways in which an author does that. So uh, now I have to read this one too. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> As always happens, we will read the same books and continue to talk about them for years to come. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of great books – And years to come. (laughs) 40 episodes in, I've just mastered all this transition stuff. Uh, Well, so we recorded, uh, well, two weeks ago, which was, I don't know, sometime in July. We we don't even know today's date. I don't know what was two weeks ago. But it was the night before the um, evening of the Rita Awards. And the Rita Awards, as it turned out, were very exciting and, um, you know, historical in a lot of ways. They were. They were historic. I mean... Oh, yeah. Historic is a better word than historical because we are not describing a genre. Got it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't take place in the past, but they did (laughs) establish a night to remember um, and, you know, create a moment that will live in a lot of people's memories. Um, So if you need a reminder, the Rita Awards are the Romance Writers of America Awards for Excellence in um, in romance, they have several categories for published fiction, and then they have the Golden Heart Awards, um, which is for unpublished works, and everybody attends. If you're at RWA, you will probably go to the Rita's. It's a huge ballroom. There's a lot of noise. Um, and if you want to see what it looks like, um, check out the, the re- recording of the live stream, which um, I think Trisha will be able to link to in the show notes. Um, fingers crossed fingers crossed hopefully it still works i tried it it did but you never know and uh first of all sarah mclean was the original mc as as you know you gotta call her and um she had on the greatest tux but that's not what we need to talk about (laughs) (laughs) 
Maybe not right now. Maybe there is a time and a place to discuss it uh, another time. We'll keep that in mind. It, it was so great. Um, but there was a, kind of a sizzling in the air that I could feel from Arizona. And it was in part because there were um, three authors of color who were nominated in the several categories that the readers have and all three of them won. So this was an historic event. There were two black Rita award winners and one Rita award winner of South Asian descent. And she was the first one as well. Um, so that was a moment and it was an amazing moment. If you were watching it live or if you were, even if you were just on Twitter, <laughs> it was kind of, Kind of one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Mm -hmm. Those winners were Kennedy Ryan. She was actually the first winner of the night because of her category um, for Long Shot. M Malone for Bad Blood and Nisha Sharma for My So-Called Bollywood Life. Um, and they were amazing. They had amazing speeches. They had amazing support. And it was just a great experience overall. Um, and... As an experience watching the Ritas, because there was no Lifetime Achievement Award winner this year, because somebody stepped in it a few months ago, mm -hmm. there was time to do other things. So they had time to make, to bring in other people. And they decided that those people would be trailblazers. Um, so like Sandra Kitt, who is one of the earliest well-known contemporary black romance authors. She wrote The Color of Love, which was um, the first interracial romance that I ever saw. Um, she spoke and there were, they had time to talk before each um, category. And there was just, there were, there was time. They, they made time. And that was, that was something important too. There's a romance trailblazers video that we'll we'll link to as well and i think you make a really good point just the fact that they made time mm -hmm. is meaningful yeah i mean i was i think i was watching more closely on instagram just because twitter could be such a mess um uh but yeah it was so fun to see all of the pictures and just read the reactions and see how meaningful it was to so many people whether they were nominated or not whether they had it submitted or not whether they're writers or not i think starting to see the little baby beginning first steps toward shifting this uh, particular, you know, ocean liner is, is encouraging. I will also, we do have to acknowledge the fact that uh, because many people are still jerks, uh, there were certain, so if, if you have been kind of following this along, then you know that Jess mentioned the three uh, authors of color who won. Those were also the only three authors of color who were nominated. Mm -hmm. So there were some, I don't know, again, I'm just going to call them like jerks on social media and Twitter and whatever, sort of, you know, raising an eyebrow and saying, oh, is it a coincidence that there was this backlash? And so all of these uh, authors, you know, who happened to be the three authors of color won their awards and their categories. And um, thankfully, uh, Helen K. Diamond, who's the president um, of the RWA Board of Directors on behalf of the board, issued a statement uh, essentially kind of saying, 
it's actually not a coincidence because this was the first year in which the first round uh, judging panel for each category included at least one judge from outside RWA. And so she talked a little bit about it was the judging process was changed to make it a more fair contest for everyone involved. And so these folks whose um, awards are incredibly important and for communities whose achievements are a long time in coming, we're finally able to experience a judging process that was at least a little bit more fair than it's been in the past. As we've discussed before, uh, RWA is planning on making some other changes um, to address the issues of, uh, you know, racism and um, stereotypes and bigotry around the LGBTQ plus community and and those books and, and stories. Um, so I don't know. I guess my question for you, Jess, is do you think because we keep having this we're at episode number 40 yeah we've had these conversations a few different times mm-hmm. do you think that this was a sign of real change such that let me okay let me <laughs> this is, let me let me let me give you the question this way All right. if you had to advise a friend of yours say you know you and Alyssa Cole you guys are like BFF. Oh, totally. If you had to advise her about whether or not to submit her books for the Rita Award next year, what would you say? I would say to do it. And in part because I know that she can she can actually afford to enter her book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because um, she's her. And that's a real thing that is a, a barrier to folks is that there is you have to pay to submit. Yeah. Um, but I also think that with the changes that RWA is making to the judging process and sort of the look at yourself moment that some people, not all, maybe like 25% of the people who have not acknowledged their biases might actually start doing as they're reading, then maybe there's a chance for a repeat. And um I I mentioned this in Kissing Books the the Monday after or yeah, the Monday after um when I did the rundown, but um actually no, it wasn't in Kissing Books. It was in the Reader's Alit post. Sorry, I just keep confusing everybody. Which is an incredible post. Just did an amazing job. We'll make sure to link to that too, so that you have kind of the full rundown of what went on at the Rita Awards. Oh thank you. Um I mentioned that when I was talking with probably family members about Barack Obama being elected, um, they were talking about, well, yeah, this is an historic event, but what really will be historic is if he's elected twice. And that was kind of the, what popped into my head when I was thinking about the future of the Ritas and bias and racism and all of that is I will, I will trust it when I see it again. And like, I'm hoping that I see it again, that something has sparked in regular judges' minds, in the way that judges are brought in from outside RWA, in the way that people realize that racism is crap, um, that they can move forward and actually do some good work. Yeah. And I think it's worth. I think it's worth noting, too, we talked a little bit last week, well, two weeks ago, last episode, Mm -hmm. about the uh, Rift Bodice Awards and how important those are going to be and what value, what a a huge value they're going to add. But I think 
this is not a situation where just because now we have one new award that seems like it has been set up for success in a variety of different ways means the Ritas don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Because they do. Because it's a, you know, it's like you need both the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes. Absolutely. I guess you don't really need either. But they (laughs) complement each other, right? They're not doing the same thing. No. And with the RWA Awards, the, you know, the Ritas are people from within the industry rewarding the other people within the industry that they think are doing really good and important work. And I don't think we can just sort of say, well, some people are racist, so this award doesn't count anymore. I mean, that's a tempting thing to do. And I, I wouldn't actually fault anyone who does. I, you know, I I certainly um, understand that perspective. But I think if we can, if, if RWA can actually figure out a way to make this a an award that is inclusive and fair and offers and is awarding just really good strong writing um and storytelling as opposed to whatever the hell it was awarding before mm-hmm. then i don't know i think that's a great success story so i don't know hopefully we're moving in the right direction we'll see yeah, I, I hope so too. And, you know, hopefully with this, with the change in governance, because it is an, a, an organization, so they have presidents that move on and new presidents who are elected and boards and counselors and people at large and all of that, um, that this will continue to move forward. And honestly, I was ha- delighted to see just scrolling through Twitter the weekend after people saying, um, I, I actually like, joined RBWA today. Hopefully they will um not let me down. So I'm hoping on their behalf that RWA does not let them down. Yeah, and it's great that people haven't kind of entirely given up. I mean that there's still some hope there. I think that means a lot. The only other thing that I was going to mention about this that um if you have a take on it, I'd be interested. I I noticed almost half of the folks who won awards were self published. Um which I think is an interesting thing to have happened. I will say I think that it is maybe in part related to the fact that a lot of – there were a lot of self-published nominees. It may well be that a lot of – you know, because we, you know, we know that some authors, Helen Wong being one of them, um, you mentioned a few others in the post. Beverly Jenkins, I think, does not submit. Is that right? Correct. Um, so there are – traditionally published authors who are relatively big names, or in Beverly Jenkins' case, enormous names, (laughs) who did not submit. And so that may have made a little bit of space for some self-published titles. Um, I don't mean in any way to diminish the winners, because it's a huge accomplishment, especially if you don't have the backing of a publishing house behind you. Um, And, you know, Emma Malone is one of those people who was self-published. So it, but it was interesting to kind of scroll through that list. It was another reminder that when it comes to self-publishing romance, I think, and I'm biased, <laughs> is a genre that is kind of at the lead um, in terms of that way to go about getting books into the hands of readers. Yeah, I mean, self-publishing is, I, I don't know if it's always been sort of in romances primary hands like of course everybody everybody self-publishes no matter what genre or um, topic they write about but it seems like romance is definitely in the lead Um, if you look even if you just sort of scroll through kindle unlimited because i know that the majority of kindle unlimited books are um, 
KDP books. <laughs> so like, so I think you have a point there. Well, and it certainly is something to keep an eye on. Yeah. So when we're at episode number 40 plus 26, 66. So this time next year. This time next year. Uh, we will, yeah, we will check back in and see um, how things have shifted. It seems like I think we are both on in agreement that we are more optimistic than maybe we were 26 episodes ago. Yeah, absolutely. So that is very exciting. Speaking of books that may be uh, in conversation for the Rita Awards next year, uh, this episode of When in Romance is also sponsored by The Right Swipe by Alicia Rai, uh, published by Avon Books. So thank you to them for sponsoring the show. I have to tell you, I am reading this book right now, but it's my gym book, so I try not to read it if I'm not at the gym. Oh, no. And it might kill me because... <laughs> I'm at like 60% now. Oh, no. And I don't even have a gym for like the next week and a half. Oh, no. Because uh, I'm on the road. So it may be that it may it may be that this stops being my gym book and starts being my read immediately after recording the podcast book. Um, but anyway, let me tell you more about it and why I'm so compelled by it. Uh, uh, Alicia Rai is one of contemporary romance's brightest stars. And she is back. You may have read, you know, Hurts to Love You um, and the – was that the Forbidden Heart series? Yes. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I don't usually quiz Jess in the middle of an ad spot, but thank you for being there for that. Um, so you may have heard us talk about Alicia Rai. You may have heard everyone you know talk about Alicia Rai. She's incredibly talented. And uh, The Right Swipe is her new book. It is a sizzling new rom-com about two rival dating app creators that find themselves at odds in the boardroom, but very much in sync in the bedroom. Uh, Rhiannon Hunter may have revolutionized romance in the digital world, but in real life, she only swipes right on her career and the occasional hookup. When an old match surfaces asking for a second chance, Rhea's wary. A temporary physical partnership is one thing, but a merger of hearts may be too high a risk. Uh, this is – so I love that this – this book seems to very much be written, and I have a sense based on some interviews that I read from Alicia Rye. It feels like it's very much written by someone who has done the online dating thing <laughs> and figured out the swiping and the lingo and the terminology and how different things work. Mm -hmm. So there's a very genuine feel to it. Um, it very much discusses how to find the one in an app or dating website. Um, it's also a sports romance, which you and I were talking about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, the hero is a former football player, a former pro football player, and um, is kind of figuring out some of the long-term effects of those things, um, both kind of in how he feels about his own career and how he feels about some family members' careers. Um, and that, it, so far, 60% of the way in is also really well done, I think. Um, the heroine has been ghosted by the hero. If you don't know what that means, just go on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> if you do know what it means, I feel you. Uh, no. And he is looking for a second chance because he actually had a really good reason to ghost her. It was, I don't know, you'll read it. It'll be great. Um, so there is a, there's a second chance element to this and there's an enemies to lovers element to this. And, um, the fact that they are business rivals. One of the things that Alicia Rye does so well is that her heroines are always these like, bad a women who are like kicking ass and taking names i'm just gonna say it <laughs> um and they're really like this i mean she has written billionaire heroines before re has to be at least a millionaire if not a billionaire like these are not women who need saving in terms of financial security um so anyway i that's enough of me blathering on about a book i haven't even finished yet but <laughs> as i can have said this is probably gonna have to shift away from being my gym book and being my 
I will have read it by the time you listen to this podcast book. So um, thank you to The Right Swipe by Alicia Rai and Avon Books for sponsoring this episode. Yes, thank you um, to The Right Swipe. I have to say, as someone who read this for readathon and therefore had absolutely no reason to stop, and thankfully I didn't because I just ate it, I salute mm-hmm. you for all of the restraint that you've had so far and will not judge you if you just go read it when we're done. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, yeah, there, she just writes such great characters. Like even Alicia, I supporting characters are so good. And actually, this one is tied in a little bit to the last book of the Forbidden Heart series. So I don't know, whatever. Maybe we'll just have to have an entire episode talking about this book because I can't stop. <laughs> so anyway. Anyway. So yeah, so go find that book. It will be, there will be a link in the show notes. So the next thing that we wanted to talk a little bit about was something that you, I think, kind of saw. I haven't, I've been on the road a lot and doing some family stuff. So I haven't been on Twitter as much the last week or so, but I feel like Jess, you were seeing some stuff bubbling up about people writing outside of their own experience. Yes. And it's funny that this is coming right after the right swipe because, um, I, I, I was thinking about the primary couple of threads that I saw on Twitter. Um, uh, just over a week ago about people writing about people that are not their own marginalizations. Um, and thinking about how the right swipe actually does it very well because, um, Alicia Rai is, um, a woman of color. Yes, she is. But Rhiannon is a black woman and she wrote her very well. Um, so I am guessing that she did what everyone should do when writing anything about someone who doesn't have their own experience. And that's a research um, because it doesn't matter if you're writing about someone who is a bobsledder or someone who lived in the 19th century or someone who is not your race or nationality. You find out about how they live, right? Um, so, so. And if you want to share your bobsledding research, please do, because I'm very interested in that. I'm curious too. Like, the only thing I know <laughs> is goal runnings, you know? Uh, yep. Same. <laughs> um, but the, the first thread I saw was actually, um, Farah Sean quote tweeted Adriana Herrera's and then I went and read Adriana's first and then um, looked at Farah's. Um, but my guess is that there is a book that I may or may not have picked up. I, I honestly don't know in which an author who is not of a particular Latinx identity, maybe Dominican, maybe something else and wrote them based on stereotypes and very one-dimensional understanding of how that person would live, would eat, would talk, would just sort of be. Um, so it's a really good thread. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of righteous anger, which is important because some people need to hear it that way. Um, and it's teaching, but also expressing like, how painful it is to be of a certain race, nationality, identity of any kind, um, queer identity, whatever, to read something by someone who doesn't share that with you and see someone who is very much wrong. 
And there's a thin line, right? Because no one person, no one race or nationality is a, is a monolith. So I don't share the same experience that another Black woman, even another Black woman who has the same education, who lived in the same place, who has the same job would have because we live different lives. Um But that's different from writing a one-dimensional, stereotypical version of me. That's like the only thing you know is Shanene from Martin, and that's how you're going to write me. Yeah, which is maybe not great. Maybe not great. Um, so that was, that, that stood out to me. Um, just because I, there are authors who don't do the proper research or have someone read it or even have someone that they know who can read it or can't reach out to somebody who might say, hey, baby, no. (laughs) Yeah, well, and reach out to and pay. Yeah. Right. Like that's part of it, too, Mm -hmm. is that. And, you know, you've touched on a few different things, Jess, that I have written down as like the rules for how not to do this. Cause I have actually thought a fair amount about it because I, and for anyone who has not heard me say this before, I am white. I am a, I'm a white head cis woman. Like that is, uh, my, you know, that's who I am. And so I will, I have seen arguments made both ways that people who identify like I do, you know, white heads as women should not write outside of that experience. I have also seen people say it's important if you're small town in Tennessee or your professional sports team or your whatever is only made up of white people, then you're doing a different kind of disservice. So I've actually thought a lot about how to be supportive of inclusive writing while also being aware that people need to be allowed to tell their own stories and represent their own stories. And I think the the one piece to always keep kind of in the back of your mind is if there are rando white ladies like me writing books about people of color and taking up slots that those people should have to tell their own stories, that's a problem. So that is just a thing to kind of keep in mind. Know, kind of know a little bit maybe about what your publishers or what what the romance industry is doing. Just listen to our podcast. We'll be happy to tell you. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that sometimes people will do is say, oh, don't worry, Jess. I have a friend who is a black woman and this is how she behaves. So it's fine. <laughs> and that is not the case, right? Like that's a... Just because you know one person and you are representing them in one specific way, mm-hmm. like that's that's not a thing. And I I think also you can't make one person the representative to an entire culture of people. Like that's just not – I don't want to be represented by one – I don't want to have one white woman's actions be representative of me because – the odds are not great in my favor <laughs> that, that one white woman would be someone who is, uh, you know, who I would want reflecting me. I also think that there's a – you're always going to get this weird pushback of, well, uh, these people are, you know, somebody is is who is a person of color or who is uh, queer is writing a white person or a straight person or, you know, a heterosexual person or whatever. It is not the same. Everyone, just like, if you need to write that down, feel free, but it is not the same. It is not the same for someone to, 
represent a story and a culture and a sexuality or gender that has been the dominant one that exists in literature and fiction Uh as it is for someone who has been a part of that dominant side of things to try to represent a anybody who's marginalized or underrepresented or you know minority in any way um it's just not the same. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how else to explain it other than – and it's – which is I, – I think I have come down on the side that, you know, if you are willing to do your homework and pay your beta readers, <laughs> plural, because uh-huh. one is not going to do it, mm-hmm. then it, it – like, th- then you should be writing inclusive stories of all kinds of different people and getting informa- – like, everybody, as we've discussed, everybody who's not evil deserves a happy ever after. Um, but – you it's not yeah you don't get to just kind of have one person that you know and model after them and yeah go from there i don't know now i'm just rambling (laughs) well like you were talking about that and i had landed in like sort of in the middle of adriana's thread and this is the one that i stopped on so you have to hear it i'm gonna read it verbatim if you're an author thinking of writing outside of your experience and you want to take on issues that are speaking to an oppression you have not lived, unless you have people in your life, friends, family, trusted colleagues who can give you guidance, I beg you, don't do it. And then the following one is, and editors, please hire sensitivity readers, ask questions about why an author is choosing to take those issues on and how they arrived there. Yeah. And I actually would not fault someone who even having come down on the side of I think that if someone is willing to put the work in it's a worthwhile endeavor I wouldn't fault someone who is not interested in reading you know um queer experiences from someone who's heterosexual or Latinx experiences from someone who is not Latinx right like I would not I think everybody kind of has to make that decision for themselves but just like anything else that is nuanced and complicated Uh you shouldn't you should have some metric some idea of why you're doing even as a reader because i think an an author should be asked good questions about why they have chosen to go that route as um, adriana herrera has said but i think as a reader you should also be thinking about why you are seeking you know a certain kind of is it just that you like the author if you are looking for those, you know, a book featuring a certain um, culture or level of ability or um, kind of body type or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there someone who is an own voices author that might also be able to offer you that? Should you be maybe reading that as well or instead or whatever? You know, I think it's in romance, people often so often think of romance as being sort of a, you know, escapism and whatever. And, you know, you just read it on a beach or you I think we sometimes get let off the hook of being responsible in the way that we read. Mm -hmm. But this is also an industry and people's livelihood is existing here. And the representation here is actually also really important. So you should read romance for whichever reasons that you want, but maybe also be a responsible and thoughtful reader. Yeah. And like, while you were talking about that, I was thinking about what I, what I read and, you know, I read all over across the spectrum, but I rarely read an interracial romance that is not written by an author of color. Um, I've, I've picked up some that are written um, by white women who are writing about 
a a white woman who falls in love with a man of color or the reverse. Um, but I, I'm not drawn to them the same way that I am drawn to, um, those that are written by women of color. And I have to think about, you know, is that just because I know that they have some shared experience with me or is it just because I'm more interested in the characters that they create than the characters that other people create? I honestly have no idea. And maybe I'll pick up that Shayla Black book that has been sitting on my table for, oh, years. Um, <laughs> actually not years because it didn't come out that long ago, but it feels like years. Um, but, but you know, I don't, I don't know why it is besides the shared experience that makes me go towards those books as opposed to others. Um, but it's something that I think about and other people who do not share my marginalizations should probably think about that as well. Yeah. And I think too, keep an eye out for supporting characters. Cause I think that's another thing where even if you are writing if if it were somebody like me who is writing a male female romance of cis a cis couple who are both white but they have kind of these friends who are sitting in some of the same strange stereotypes that you were talking about earlier just like that's also a problem it's a different kind of problem but it's also a problem like you need to have sensitivity readers or beta readers whatever you want to call them all the time just do it all the time that'll be great just do it all the time. That'd be great. And doing it means you acknowledge that you have characters that you don't, you, you want to make sure you understand properly in your books. Because, I mean, there are those books that feel like they are forced diversity, right? They're the ones where you know that the author has really worked to make this a, a community that looks like real life. And they're the ones that you wonder if they just, you know, their editor said they should probably include some people who weren't says that white people and they just sort of slipped them in or twitter said it or you know they saw yeah and people are we are we are all evolving together i don't know we, we, let us know what you all think about romance written outside of an author's particular experience and and what some of yours do's and do nots would be because I was, I was, I told Jess when we first started talking about potentially discussing this on the show, I know that a lot of my experience is informed by being who I am, which is like, that's real boring of this. I mean, being a cishet white lady is like not that interesting. So, um. But you're interesting, Trisha. Well, thank you. And I would be interested in hearing from anybody of any, uh, whether you are also a cishet white lady or, or you are, have different, or, you know, different levels of ability or body type. You know, there's just so many different kinds of people in the world that it's boring to read about the same ones all the time so anyway yeah the last thing that we were going to discuss is a little bit different it's a you and i almost talked about this last time and we we got a little bit busy but um penny reed is doing something new and different new and different indeed (laughs) yeah um and if you don't know penny reed is a, a romance author who is um at this point, she actually has later this year, I think, a book coming out with Montlake, which is the Amazon uh, publishing house. But by and large, she has been self-published and has actually a, a fairly interesting story um, about how she even came to start writing romance that we don't have time to get into today. <laughs> We're going to go over time anyway. But um, we, she's doing something interesting that she just announced in her latest newsletter. I'll see if I can figure out whether or not there's a link to it or not. But she announced um, 
probably about a year ago that she was going to kind of start her own I don't want to call it a publishing house, although maybe it is. Kind of. uh, Called Smarty Pants Romance. And she is, what she's essentially doing is taking fanfic, essentially, of her characters and the different worlds in which she writes, which at this point all kind of overlap as far as I know. One, her, um, Knitting in the Series, City Series, which starts with, uh, Neanderthal Seeks Human is her first series. And then spun off of that is the, uh, Green Valley, Winston Brothers series. Um, and she, even her, uh, she writes sort of, um, some new a or new adult, uh, books. And she, anyway, she does a few different series. You can find little Easter eggs and all of them. They're sort of all existing in the same world. Mm-hmm. So apparently she decided that she wanted to sanction and publish some of the fan fiction because she has been an independently published, uh, author. And so, she has announced, I think, is it 12 books, Jess? I think it's 12. It might be 16, but I think it's 12. I think it's one a month. Yeah. And they're all, you know, they're, they've been announced. She's announced the titles and the publication dates for all of them. It might even be more than one a month. I feel like they, many of them might be coming out even within the next like three or six months. I don't know. I'd have to look again. But at any rate, it seems like most of the folks who are writing these books, they kind of, if I'm not mistaken, they did sort of apply with their ideas and stories and whatever. And it's just such an interesting idea that an author would sanction their own fan fiction. Well, I mean, really, it's more like an extended universe if we're going with Star Wars speak. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for jumping in because you are by a factor of a thousand, the (laughs) fan fiction expert on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's still interesting that she would she would sanction that too and be like, "Hey, people have asked me if they could write about the librarian in Green Valley." And sure you can, and I'll publish it for you. Like that was mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting cuz she's doing some of her own spin-off, uh, particularly the Green Valley series, uh, her own stuff as well. So, she must have had to figure out how to fit these books into the existing world and to the world that she has planned. Um, but in some ways, I, you know, I was saying on our book right Slack, it's kind of a win-win for everybody, right? Cause the fans get who are interested in extending this universe, get that the, um, you know, she gets to sort of sanction the way that the universe is extended. And ideally we, we don't have any idea what the kinds of agreements that she has with these authors. Um, but, I, I would assume they're being paid. Many of them, if not all of them, I haven't done all of my digging, are folks who have published other books. Um, Kathy Yardley for sure has. Daisy Prescott has. Um, you know, I've clicked through a few of the others, and and I think many of these are established authors, even if they're not well-known or maybe they're doing indie publishing, um, which you know we love here. But it's just such a – it's just such an interesting thing to do. It is an interesting thing to do and definitely not something that I've seen before. Um, and you know, like, it, so it's not like the core style of fan fiction. All of the character, all of the romance protagonists that she has written as protagonists, they, their stories will not be changing at all. Um, but she's, letting people play around in in the sandbox, I guess you can say, um, of the rest of the characters. So, you know, 
somebody might wander in from the Winston Brothers series, but we're not going to kill off one of their love interests and have them fall in love with someone else. So oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I can't handle that level of stress in my life. <laughs> um, but it did bring up an interesting conversation for us, which was um, what sort of fan fiction, alternate universe, extended universe sort of, if you could of all of your, you know, reading and romance, if there was a series or a standalone or whatever that you would want to have expanded, uh, what would it be? And I think I have two little ones and you have one big one. So I will go first and then we'll let you you uh, talk for a long time. And then uh, <laughs> I will spoil this book for everyone. Uh, the, the last one before we sign off. Uh, don't worry, we will warn you before that happens. But um, I and I have said this on Instagram and I've actually <laughs> – Talia Hibbert did like a, an AMA on Instagram or, you know, whatever. And ask if she said like, you know, ask me whatever questions you want. And my question is this. She has a holiday book. It is Christmas focused called Mary Inkmas. And there are two characters in that book, Jem and Steve, who are definitely like in love, very happy together the way that she describes it. So Jem does not know that Steve is in love with her. Uh, and I have to find you the, oh, the quote. So uh, they're, you know, the main character of the book, Bailey, because neither of these people are main characters. They're supporting characters who work at the tattoo parlor. And uh, when they are meeting Bailey, who is one of the main characters of the book, um, Steve gives Bailey a nod, but every, and this is a quote, but every inch of his being was focused on Jem, like she was the sun and he the, fla- the sunflower. Bailey wondered if Jem knew that this guy was in love with her. Probably not. <laughs> and like ever since I read that, I have really wanted Talia Hibbert to write that book. She said she mentioned that maybe she would eventually, but if she wants to, you know, commission somebody else to write it and like sanction it, that's fine too. I just really <laughs> want them to find their HEA. She's it's a there's a little bit of an age difference there. Gem is younger, she was older. I don't know. I just I feel like that could be a really happy holiday read for all of us or whatever summer. I don't care. It doesn't matter. There are holidays in summer. I mean, seriously, just read Mary Inkmas and then tell me that you agree with me. That is all I'm looking for. I agree with you, Trisha. Thank you. All right. Tell us, everybody, what, what is it? Is it the, I'm guessing it's an extended universe. Is it an extended universe that you want, Jess? I want an extended universe. And I want an extended universe of the Reluctant Royals. Who could have guessed? Woo! I don't think you could have guessed. You could have I'm, all guessed. I'm, I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> what, what is the Reluctant Royals series, Jess? Is it by what, a new upstart author that we've never discussed here on the podcast? <laughs> never. I have never mentioned the author's name ever, ever on this podcast. It's not like I mentioned her name at least twice an episode. No, not at all. <laughs> Whatever. You get. This is us making up what we want. You get to want what you want. I get to want what I want. And what I want is... Everything about everyone else in the Reluctant Royal series by Alyssa Cole, if you couldn't figure it out. Um, so, because, you know, I want to know about some of the people who live in Tesolo, and I want to know about people who live in the States who emigrated from Tesolo, but only if they're happy. Please be happy. Um, I want people from the towns where Tavish and Johan live and I want to know about Gus's con friends and I want that story that um, Reggie and Gus are obsessed with like the whole thing and I want to know about the person who makes Reggie's wheelchairs like I want to know everything and Alyssa doesn't have enough time so I need her to commission 
like 50 people to just write a Reluctant Royals extended universe. All of them. <laughs> and I don't want to volunteer anyone for anything, but I'm willing to bet that Jess would GoFundMe this. <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> if there's a GoFundMe, we would mention it on the podcast. Just saying. Whatever. You know, <laughs> something to think about. Something to think about. Well, and I was telling you, so that one is a fantastic option. Uh, one of mine would have actually been Green Valley by Penny Reed, so I can't complain because that already exists. Mm -hmm. um, I already, we just talked about The Right Swipe, which I already want to know about all of the people in that series, but it's the first book in the series. So that's probably a little unfair at this point. Um, so I, and I am not an expert on fan fiction or extended universes or all. Alternative, un alternative universes? Alternate? I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. I think anyway. they're both. I think both exist. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so you should know that in my second request, I am going to spoil the giant general way that a book called Every Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. So if you uh, do not want to know in giant generalities how that book ends, then thank you for listening rate and review. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> For those of you who are okay with it or who already know or who can guess, which is probably most of you, uh, Abby Drake Starts Over is a wonderful book. It has been um, generally categorized as contemporary fiction or ugh, women's fiction. That's how I say women's fiction now with the ugh in front of it. I, hate that I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so anyway, now I'm going to tell you in giant generalities how that book ends. Last warning. So at the end of the book, Evie ends up with the guy, Dean, I think is his name, the baseball player person. Dean or Drew? Might be Drew. Probably starts with a D. Four letter D word. Yeah. So anyway, he's the baseball person. You'll know who I'm talking about if you've read it. And that's perfectly lovely. I'm going to be honest with you. I wanted her to end up single. Not because I didn't like Dean slash Drew. He seemed great, but she just, it felt like they separated for a little while. She was doing great. She was living her own life. And I kind of, I, some of this is my own baggage of just wishing that there were more happy ever afters that involved women just being single. Uh, so I will confess that for sure. But this book felt like it was maybe a little bit on that path. And then she ended up back with Dean Drew. And again, he's great. They seemed like they could potentially be happy. I don't mean to diminish the way that the book did end. It's a wonderful book. You should read it. But also, I just, I felt like she was kind of closer to there. Like she had done enough work to set the character up in such an interesting and independent way that Eddie could have been single. And then she wasn't. So if anybody wants to write me that alternate universe, Abby Drake starts over ending, please feel free. Yeah, I mean, alternate endings are definitely popular in fan fiction. I will say that while I am not surprised that you would like to hear that, I thought you would be semi-satisfied with the elements of that conclusion that I won't go into because you already said that this was going to be general, not specific, but it, it sort of came down to a similar um, kind of ending to a book that you really liked involving someone who rode away on a motorcycle. Mm, true story. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. I just, I just, yeah, I feel like they were just so close. (laughs) I'm with, I I support that. I believe in you. (laughs) But like I said, the book is great as it is. You should read it either way. Uh, You should read it and you should let us know what you think. Um, You should let us know what you think of that. Tell us what, whether you think that this is a new start for the Rita Awards or not. Um, if you have also been thinking about or have started thinking about what it means for an author to write outside of his or her own experience, uh, let us know that too. And of course, we want to know all of your happy ever after slash alternate endings slash alternate universe slash fanfic extended universe. I just, this is Jess's part. I shouldn't even be talking about it, but let us know those too. If you ship somebody else, I mean, I want to hear those too. It's like, oh my gosh, she ended up with this guy and she totally needed to be with his best friend or her <gasps> oh, best friend. Yeah. Like that's a good one. Yeah. I'll admit that there are definitely some books where it was like, this wasn't the couple you should have started out with. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll take those too. Let, yeah, exactly. And if you want us to do a whole episode about all the books that we're trying not to spoil, just let us know that as well. You can find <laughs> us at our uh, email address, wedinromance at bookriot.com. You can find me at Trisha Haley Brown, both on Twitter or on Instagram. And you can find me at Jess is reading, all one word on Twitter, and Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Do feel free to rate and or review the podcast. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, And thank you, as always, for listening and getting in touch. This is a delightful part of my week. And so thanks for sharing it with me. Thank you, Trisha. Yeah, that meant you, Jess, and also the listeners. But thank you for everyone for sharing it with me. And thank all of you. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy, happy reading. Bye, everybody.